Hello, this is Kate Nocera, and you're listening to No One Knows Anything, the BuzzFeed News Politics Podcast. Every week, we talk about this crazy time in American politics, break down a couple of stories, and try and make sense of things. And I'm Charlie Warzel, a senior tech writer here at BuzzFeed. So, uh, Charlie, what are we talking about this week? So today we're going to talk about the health care bill, specifically the part coming out of the Senate that has recently been released and that was very secretive up until that moment. And we're going to sort of break that down. Uh, We're going to talk about the Georgia special election that took place earlier this week and the results and what it means for Republicans, Democrats and everyone going forward. And we're going to talk about um, Megyn Kelly's interview on NBC with Alex Jones, a conspiracy theorist who I've kind of chased around the country and uh, (laughs) what the heck happened there. (laughs) Something you know a little too much about. Way too much. Uh, Finally, it is 12.30 p.m. on a a Thursday, and I'm telling you that because by the time you listen to this, who knows what could have happened. So joining us in Washington, D.C. is the very busy Sarah Mims, uh, D.C. editor and... (laughs) who edits all of our coverage coming out of Capitol Hill. Uh, Hello. Hello. How are you doing? (laughs) Oh, God, I'm great. Okay. Everything's great. So this morning, um, Senate Republicans released their quote-unquote discussion draft plan uh, to repeal and replace Obamacare, sort of an extension of what the House passed a couple weeks ago. Uh, the American Health Care Act. This is what what is the name for this one? Uh, this is the Better Care Reconciliation Act, which I think is hilarious because it has the same acronym as McCain-Feingold, a bill that Republicans are not a huge fan of. So maybe that's only hilarious to you. Yeah, but- probably. <laughs> that's fine. That's okay. Uh, you can have it. <laughs> we'll let you have it today. Let's rejoice. Um, so what uh, what were we looking for in this bill and what does it do? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we were only expecting to get a couple of pages of, like, bullet points of this thing. They ended up actually putting out 142 pages. This is a full bill. There's a lot of detail in it. Um, I mean, some of the biggest things are, like, the question of pre-existing conditions, which the House allowed states to basically wave out of that and say, you can charge people with pre-existing conditions as much as you want, just like before Obamacare. The Senate bill has gotten rid of that. So basically, we're going back to uh, Obamacare in that sense, where if you have a pre-existing condition, they cannot drop your coverage and they cannot charge you more than they're charging a healthy person. Right. Um, So in that sense, this bill is a little bit more moderate. Uh, What it also does is it rolls back the Medicaid expansion uh, under Obamacare, which allowed 4 million new Americans to get onto the rolls. Um, And so it does that by 2024. Um, So that's a little bit less quickly than the House bill, but it's still rolling that back. It's still making very large cuts to Medicaid. In fact, larger cuts than the House wanted to. Um, The other big thing that uh, people are pretty interested in at the moment is that it is going to defund Planned Parenthood, um, at least at the federal level. And what it also does is that it um, it says that you can't use your tax credits that you're getting to help pay for health care for a plan that even covers abortion. So even if you have not had one, uh, if your plan offers that, then you will not be you will not qualify for those tax credits. If that's in your if that is in your coverage plan, exactly. Yeah. So could conceivably people have to go get new plans that don't. 
cover it? Like, if you currently have a plan that covers it, would you have to go get, would you would have to get an insurance company? Yeah, potentially. And also, it, the thought is that a lot of insurance companies will start offering plans that don't cover that at all. So uh, they, they roll this out today. Uh, Democrats are v- very angry, you know, as expected, saying this was done in secret. We need more time. Obamacare was, you know, debated for months and months and months. Right. Um, what about Republican reaction to it? I mean, there are Republicans like there's, you know, Lisa Murkowski from uh, Alaska and uh, Susan Collins from Maine who have said who have been very supportive of federal funding for Planned Parenthood, other Republicans from Medicaid states. In reality, how many of them are not going to support this? Well, Republicans can only lose two senators on this bill, which is like a very slim margin of error. <laughs> um, at the moment, I have my eye on about seven or eight different Republicans who could oppose this for different reasons. You mentioned Collins and Murkowski. Planned Parenthood funding has been very important to them in the past. At the moment, they're both saying, I need to read this thing, which is something that a lot of Republicans are saying today. Um, again, they can only lose two. So this is looking really shaky already. Okay. My question is, this whole thing moved very fast, obviously, and, yeah. and and judging by the fact that, you know, Republicans are like, I really want to see it, and there was just a sort of a, a small group that was doing the crafting of this, do you get a sense, or is there a sense in Washington that... that Republicans are also kind of frustrated with the with the pace of this, the, the Republicans that weren't involved? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even Mike Lee, who was on that group uh, of senators who were supposed to be working on this initially, that group of 13 uh, Republican senators, he put out a Facebook video um, on Wednesday saying, I can't believe that I haven't seen a copy of this bill. Basically, Mitch McConnell and his staff are writing it at this point. This is so unacceptable. Um, you know, and he was supposed to be a part of that group. And then you had like Lisa Murkowski, who was not a member uh, of the working group, saying this morning, um, I can't believe this has been done in secret. So yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of concern about that. One potential saving grace in terms of how how long there is left uh, before they have to vote on it, which again is probably going to come sometime next week, is that this isn't drastically different than the House bill. There are definitely some big changes, but overall, they're you know ten-ish of them, and the rest of it's pretty much the same. I mean, and it's not. It, I mean. It, the the sort of senate posture always was you know let's get it through the house and we'll make it better right and it seems like it's mostly the same it is it's mostly the same and the other thing is even if the senate passes this it's not as if the bill immediately heads to donald trump's desk to sign it they have to go back to the house and figure out uh, what the differences are and come to some kind of compromise on that. So um, there's still a lot of time left in this process. Oh, yeah, but I, I mean, there's a lot of, but it is going to move, like, they they want to get this done. Republican Absolutely. leadership, like, wants to kind of put this behind us. I think us. Mitch McConnell in particular never I wants to talk like about this again. kind of been a shit show for yeah. them <laughs> in general. No, absolutely. And the, the behind-closed-doors secret health care bill stuff has not been great for them either. Um, right. They're really not enjoying talking about this. You know, Paul Ryan wants to do tax reform. Mitch McConnell has a number of other priorities this year. This is not fun for them. I think that they really do just want to get it over with. And Donald Trump really wants 
to do something because he said he would. Right, right. But he doesn't to, know what to add, that is. <laughs> Basically. To, to add to the, 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 the shit show nightmare scenario, I guess, like, if it, for Republicans, if it doesn't pass, if they lose the two, uh, what what kind of happens there? Oh, I think, you know, they just start blaming Democrats. Not a single Democrat would vote with us to fix Obamacare, which is failing. And mm-hmm. so there was really nothing that we could do. But 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 at some point, like, something has to happen. At some point, someone has to do something. Like, if... if <laughs> Sarah's, Sarah's <laughs> laughing at me. <laughs> like I'm not laughing at you. I'm not laughing at no, you. No, I mean, if you're not, like, there, there are active measures that Health and Human Services can take to sort of boost up the insurance market. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if they don't do them, then, yes, Ob- Obamacare will fall down. And if there's nothing to move forward with, like, I don't know. Like you're gonna, you're like you're gonna have to do something. So yeah, I mean, but I think that's always been the calculus. Is like if if we do not get this done now, and yeah. Obamacare continues to get worse and worse, we wait for a couple of Democrats to say we have to do something. We're gonna work with the Republicans and we're gonna figure something out. Whether that actually happens is a completely different question. But I think that's the ca- sort of calculus right now. Right. <laughs> I mean, basically, oh. something will probably happen eventually, and no one really knows what's going on. <laughs> something will probably happen eventually is the new name of this podcast. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, it took, it, it has kind of been stunning, like, to watch over the last year or so. I mean, it took Democrats years, years. Every president ever has wanted to get some sort of health care reform through. And then it took it took them, you know, two years basically to get Obamacare done. And then it, it took them years to try and keep it there. Right. <laughs> and then it was still pretty messy. Like there was still a lot like turns out it's a very big, complicated thing. Yeah. American who would have thought that system. something that affects one sixth of the American economy is difficult to, <laughs> to and like literally and every person in the country. Yeah. 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 Um, do I, I mean McConnell basically wrote this bill? He and his staff wrote this bill. Like, what if he gets? Is he going to be able to like give moderates or Heller or even you know the more conservative like uh, Rand Paul and Cruz and Lee who say that this is maybe too moderate? Like, what is he actually going to be able to give them to make them like it? I think that's kind of the big question. Um, at, at some point before this bill actually happens, I, I believe sometime next week, they're going to have a voterama where they all sit around and It vote. sounds a lot more exciting than it is. That's absolutely true. Yeah, like it sure all does. Things, it sure does. <laughs> like all things in the Senate, it sounds more exciting than it is. Um, but basically, they will stay up all night and just vote on every <laughs> amendment that someone wants to bring up until they either get tired or run out of amendments. Yeah. Um, it's something they do a couple times a year it can be kind of fun when they get really tired and start doing silly stuff yeah um but basically i think i think that's going to be the really the most that he can do for these groups who are upset he can say listen you can offer an amendment and if you can get that amendment attached to this bill great 
And if you can't, then I'm going to need you to find a way to get to yes on this because we have to pass this. We've been promising this since Obamacare passed in the first place. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Thanks, Sarah. Earlier this week, there was the most special, special election of all time, a $50 million election between Democrat John Ossoff and Republican Karen Handel that everyone put all their hopes, dreams and wishes into. Um, And it turned out that a Republican district ended up voting for Republican and Karen Handel won that seat. But we paid a lot of attention to it. And joining us to talk about it is Alexis Levinson, uh, who was covering that race pretty closely and down there. And is very excited that she never has to go to Atlanta ever again. Very excited. not for like six months. The Atlanta suburbs. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll figure out a reason to send you back down. Really looking forward to that. (laughs) I know you love the Paneras in suburban Atlanta. Um, But why wasn't why was this race like not as close as everyone thought it was going to be so i think we're still trying to figure out exactly why um everyone has a hot take we are in the the 48 hours probably stretching into a week of the hottest of hot takes that Mm. probably no one will remember in six months if i had to guess but yeah i mean like you said it's a republican district and republicans kind of came home i think we if you like look back to the start when this race started through where this race ended and you look at kind of the prevailing conventional wisdom, it shifted kind of dramatically over time. And I, I think a lot, I, the, the reason, the whole the whole reason Democrats were even playing here is because Democrats in the 2016 election, Trump won it by a point and a half, which was only a big deal because Romney won it by like 23 points, I believe. So like there was a, there was a big shift. Republicans in this district clearly did not like Trump. And so people were like, this is gonna be a referendum on Trump, we can do this. It was sort of a referendum on Trump, maybe. I I, I don't totally, you know, no, no one talked about yeah. Trump by the end. Right. Not the Republican, not the Democrat. Ossoff kind of, Ossoff was the Democrat, kind of wink, wink, nod, nod. We want civility and people who respect. And like, th- there was no, no one didn't know who he was talking about when he was making comments like that. But he never said Trump's name. Karen Handel almost never said Trump's name. It was just sort of like this, oh, it's, everyone was trying to like not have it be about Trump, even though it was entirely about Trump and there was like $50 million coming in to make it about Trump. Yeah. The the $50 million part's really interesting to me. I mean, I feel like if I'm a voter in this, you know, this uh, Republican district and you just start hearing, I mean, I'm sure the $50 million came with like a massive ad blitz and, and, and everything, but I feel like just simply like the over focus on this i mean do, do you feel that that sort of maybe brought um you know brought people out like they almost sort of like voting to spite the money that that went in from all these foreign donors i would argue it was maybe the other way um during the primary especially so Ossoff raised a historic amount of money he raised 23 million all told but even just in the primary he had 8 million and they were knocking on everyone's doors like, it, you know, normally campaigns sort of target. They knock on the doors and they mail, send mail to the people that might actually vote for them. And Ossoff had enough money to knock on, like, everybody's door, send everybody mail. And you would see people who lived in the district posting on Twitter just, you know, like this sheaf of mail that was, like, 
two inches high that they'd gotten in the so past obnoxious. week. Um, no one was picking up the phone. I know one of the things I was hearing was that people were starting to have trouble polling by the end of the primary, and I can't imagine it got any better during the general because people stopped picking up their phones. Like yeah. you, no one wants to pick up their phone and have a political call. No one wants to open their mailbox and have like, you know, the fucking textbook of just like letters and mailers. And this is why you should vote for this person. This is why you should vote for this person. And this is why this person is a terrible human being. And you know, lights puppies on fire. Um, so I think a lot of people were just inundated. And I think there may be people who didn't vote. Be- like I would be more surprised if there were people that like got out just in spite of that. I think there were people who either like did it to stop people calling them or just like didn't do it because they couldn't deal and tune it all out. I mean, like one of the things that I sort of was looking at when I was looking at this race was that like Tom Price, even though Trump won by one point, Tom Price, who is the who is the now Secretary of Health and Human Services, which is why the seat was open because he was appointed. He was the congressman. I mean, he won by like double digits in 2016. So like even if they didn't like Trump, they still like, you know, normal Republican because Trump is outside the norm of Republicans and so like it made sense at the end of the day that they would come back to Karen Handel yeah I think one of the the big things one of the smartest ways this race was explained to me was it's worth looking at kind of how Democrats message because what we learned from the 2016 election is that the way Democrats are messaging is not working at all Mm -hmm. Um, and they need to figure out a way to find you know convince people that they should vote Democratic. Yeah. And these were these were opportunities to test various messages. And you, you can't just say, like, all Republicans equal Trump. Like, right. voters are not buying into that. And voters weren't buying into it in, 26, in the November elections. And they clearly still are not. Yeah. Charlie, I guess, is this really your first go around paying attention to um, fun special elections? Yeah, it's, it seems like it's almost impossible to, to pick up lessons from this and especially with with trump who's just so atypical in general like it it feels so silly to say to to use these as as referendums and yet at the same at the same time it it does make sense that if you're really freaked out by you know where the republican party's going that you might just want to you know try to cast your vote to to you know make a a statement about that and i but i i feel like as an observer from this that i know absolutely nothing from what I've watched in the the last three or four months. Well, I've been obsessing over them for the last three or four months, and I'm not sure I know anything at all. (laughs) The one thing I feel very certain saying after this is that regardless of what happened, there is like insane Democratic energy right now. Yeah. Because I went to a lot of his events and, you know, there were people who were like, oh, I went to this event. I think I'm just going to go to the other one because... You know, I, love doing I don't like this. I yeah. just, this is so fun. Like I should people don't you know, you can barely get people to like knock on doors for most campaigns. And this is he's like, oh, I'll just I'm just going to come hang out at your campaign events. This sounds so fun. Yeah. Um, and I think like that's clearly there. Um, and I, I think in that way, maybe some of the anti-Trump stuff is just baked in. Like the people who are going to vote because they hate Trump are yeah. going to vote probably no matter what. Right. I think. With the, I mean, the, with the energy, like South Carolina, which was a race that, uh, that Mick Mulvaney, who's the OMB director now, um, he won by like 20. That that race was like, it came within like one or two points. I didn't actually look at the final margin. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was really close. There was really low turnout, but Democrats were like psyched. Well, and this is sort of, 
that has historically been how you get these weird special elections where you suddenly have a Democrat getting elected in Mississippi is no one quite knows what's going on. And then all of a sudden, you know, no one turns out. And it's a really like this is this is why people always say special elections are special, because it's not usually getting national attention and 50 million plus dollars getting spent on it and people don't necessarily know what's happening and so you get only the diehards turning out and i i think probably that's the take i haven't looked at kind of how things broke down in south carolina but i assume that's partly the takeaway is sort of sleepy low-key special election that no one really was paying attention to except the people who were really paying attention to it and democrats are really really paying attention to like everything right now i think yeah All right. Well, thank you very much, Alexis. Um, We'll talk to you later. (laughs) Thanks, guys. So, Kate, moving on from all of the drama in Washington, D.C., something happened on Sunday night that basically occupied my time for a, a... the better part of of last week. Uh, And that was that NBC's new uh, anchor and personality, Megyn Kelly, formerly of Fox News, uh, had a a big blockbuster interview with Alex Jones, who is uh, America's best known conspiracy theorist and subject of way too much of my time. Um, <laughs> this was this was a a seven day long media circus and like slow moving disaster for NBC and Kelly. Um, basically, from when they teased the trailer of the interview, um, everyone from Sandy Hook parents to, um, you know, liberals and conservatives and pro-Trump trolls. Everyone was up in arms about this interview. Um, and on Sunday, we actually got to see it and we saw that it was it was no big deal. And so I really wanted to sort of talk about what this means in terms of, you know, the, the broader like political media and like conspiracy culture that we now live in. I would like to talk about this too because I really only saw outrage on the internet. I did not watch <laughs> the interview, but I saw the interview like I saw like the interview kind of play out online as well and everyone was like, "Oh, this is like pretty good." Like turns out Megan Kelly is like <laughs> Like it's not, after like two weeks of, or was it like a week or two weeks? I don't know. It felt like forever. I it felt like 10 months. Yeah, yeah. it was 10 exactly. months. Everyone's screaming. And then there was this whole other side show that I know you wrote a lot about, which was Alex Jones, like recording the interview and saying that like Megyn Kelly was going to be super unfair to him and he was going to yes. release the tapes. It just seemed like for what a nothing burger the interview was it it did make megan kelly and nbc like look not great at the end of the day yeah yeah so to kind of walk through it a little bit basically what happened was they announced they're going to interview alex jones show the little teaser trailer Megyn Kelly has like one line about it. So broader context is that Alex Jones has called the Sandy Hook tragedy um, a hoax before way back, you know, in 2012, 13. Um, So everyone was up in arms. Anyway, Megyn Kelly uh, sort of presses him on this, but you know, in, in the aftermath of the clip, people were really worried that he was going to 
kind of get a pass by her that she wasn't going to hold him to account and basically give him a platform to say all these crazy things. You know, he believes 9-11 was an inside job, etc. So the internet freaks out. Um, and then Alex Jones kind of just is a master at kind of grabbing the media narrative. And he sort of started, uh, you know, saying that, oh, from what I can tell from the preview, this has been highly edited and unfair. Um, and, you know, it's biased and it's going to make me look like a monster. I want NBC to take the interview down. Uh, and then uh, on Thursday, after, you know, people are calling for Megyn Kelly to resign from NBC, um, NBC is, is, is not really defending her very well. Alex Jones on Friday, early, early morning of last week, releases a um, leaked audio that he recorded of Megyn Kelly and him discussing the terms of the interview in which she's very, um, she's very like uh, kind she's, of she's pitching source, a softball. She's like source greasy, right? Like that's what we yeah, would call exactly. it, right? Like yes. you don't want to be totally. like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally going to nail you, you know? My goal is for your listeners and the left, you know, who will be watching some on NBC to say, wow, that was really interesting. And then the next time I want to get somebody... They're going to say, look what you did to Alex Jones. It's not going to be some gotcha hit piece. I promise you that. Yeah, she says, she says, this is a, you know, I'm trying to paint you as, as a human. I want people to see you as the father that you are. Um, th- there was, you know, it, there was a lot of concern. It sort of made her look bad and NBC look bad because publicly they were saying, you know, this is going to, we're going to hold him to account finally. Anyway, peace comes out. And as you said, it's not that bad. It's like, you know, highly edited. It's pretty combative. Um, NBC changed it up a little uh, in the in the week during the controversy to add the Sandy Hook parents in there. And it's basically just this, like, very calm primer about Jones. Um, right. and, and, yeah, and the end result is this sort of, like, flat... Um, sort of reaction of like oh okay and all these yeah. people who were literally screaming across the internet saying you know pull this pull megan kelly nbc you know shame advertisers pulled out of the of the entire thing it, it ended up saying oh actually she did okay um yeah. <laughs> but i think what this shows to me is that like the media and political climate right now is so aggressively like hot like it's just so um so tenuous that we almost like can't talk about anything of substance like uh, we we can't you know if you're if you want to talk about russia you're immediately met with this idea that you're like trying to tear this you know trump presidency down and you know impeachment's your only goal well, there, or yeah. if you want to talk yeah well if you want to talk about conspiracy theories it's you know it's oh you're giving this platform you must you know not actually care about the parents of people who've you know been murdered and it's just it's bad or even like the sort of so myself as a journalist like even her released the the tape of that he released where she said you know i want to i want to humanize you like i want people to see his dad or whatever i mean those like looked really not great out of context right but i also think that like as a journalist there are things that you have to say to get your subject sometimes to like agree to sit down with you 
right? Yeah. This is a this is a really classic kind of uh, pro Trump media tactic, which is to sort of you know show the sausage making of you know whatever part of the media and pretend like it's part of some like broad conspiracy. Um, and, and, and it sort of speaks to the, the main difference between the pro-Trump media and the mainstream media, which is this idea of live versus edited. Um, the pro-Trump media is like, you know, they constantly do live streams on Periscope or um, uh, on YouTube. And, you know, like Alex Jones's show is four hours without a teleprompter and they just plop it on the internet. It's this idea that, like, we say whatever we feel, we give you the whole picture, and the mainstream media wants to edit. And it's, like, it's kind of an effective tactic, actually. <laughs> right. And I mean, at the end of the day, like, I think that you can have really kind of mixed feelings about Megyn Kelly, about NBC's sort of strategy, bringing more conservative voices, right, onto their show. But I think that... I think, yeah. Right. I mean, but I also uh, like and then and then there's this whole separate controversy that I think we've talked about a little bit, too, which is like, do you cover Alex Jones? Like, right. do, should and should you? I think I, I think that a on, on the first side, there is sort of like a in general since the election, like a a bit of a fetishization of like, you know, trying to get the, the conservative viewpoint or, you know, like uh, sort of perceived liberal media outlets trying to, you know, beef up their conservative bona fides. And I think that is, you know, whatever it is and people, reasonable people will disagree. But the second point of, uh, you know, should you give someone like Jones a, a, a platform? I think like what we saw is it, it's an outmoded argument. Of course, you have to give these people platforms on national news because they already have platforms. Like Alex mm -hmm. Jones is important because he speaks to millions of people on his radio show every day uh, and is like, you know, two million YouTube subscribers mm -hmm. um, that listen to every word he says. And so mm -hmm. to say, oh, well, you know, if Megyn Kelly doesn't give him a platform, he's going away is, right. is kind of a, a, a garbage argument. Right. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> and I just don't care that much about Alex Jones. I know I should care a lot more than I do. I think, yeah, I mean, I think that that's actually, honestly, part of, part of the problem is that there's so much going on right now that yeah. is really pressing and pertinent. And then you have, like, you have people out on the fringe who are basically spinning a second reality. And, like, when... <laughs> reality one earth one is like so intense and draining <laughs> it's pretty hard to like deal with like the hypothetical earth two in which where george soros is paying you know every journalist out of his own pocket to tweet you know bad negative shit about trump so i i get that impulse but here these people go converting new people yeah making you know building an audience and and yeah i don't really know where we go from here but i think the interview was ultimately successful if new people learned about alex who didn't know and thought whoa that's maybe he's dangerous that's a crazy guy all right charlie thank you for bringing that insight into my life i always appreciate it yeah dispatches from earth too <laughs> 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 
No One Knows Anything is produced by Meg Kramer, Eleanor Kagan, and Agarna Shashagre. The show is edited by Catherine Miller. Production support comes from Veronica Doolin. Our music is by Beauty Pill. You can find us on Twitter at Kate Nocera and at C. Warzel. 